I still feel a, a little shy. I remember um, one year, one of the first uh, year I was giving a, t- a talk here. I don't know if I was assisting or fully teaching the retreat, but um, I was doing my thing, you know, talking about my subject, maybe the seven factors or something like this. I can't remember. And uh, at some point, my eyes just met with somebody who was sitting there who had... Um, just enough of a neutral face for me to project a lot of things on it. (laughs) (laughs) And the right uh, kind of uh, gender, demographic, everything was right for me to project. And and I just thought, this person hates me and they hate what I'm saying. (laughs) And they know their stuff, you know, (laughs) kind of. And I just completely jammed, like I paralyzed. And I was sitting there with, you know, a room full of people. And I, I, I didn't look at this person anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to. I just had enough information. <laughs> and I couldn't remember what I was talking... Like, I had lost access to almost everything. And uh, I was, yeah, I was paralyzed. So I was like this. I couldn't lower my eyes on my... Uh, sheets I was just it was a big blank and somehow there was a remembering that there was the possibility to actually be mindful (laughs) because of years of training I guess and uh, and suddenly there was just like oh so what is this kind of interest towards you know being frozen and and by that, during that time, nothing was happening <laughs> outside, you know, not, not much inside either. But, uh, but I, I remember like sitting where uh, Trudy is, there was a, one of my senior teacher there, and, and I just saw in my peripheral vision somebody go like this. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'm supposed to be doing something here, you know, <laughs> it's not happening. But uh, I remember actually for a few seconds, really engaging in practice. You, just seeing like, there's no intelligence, there's no memory, there's no, like there's so little available, you know, that, and just seeing this is how it is right now. And the, almost a feeling that actually, that was okay. You know, that was an interesting thing, you know. And slowly, suddenly, I was able to, lo- you know, start moving my neck <laughs> lower. And I remember looking on the sheets and seeing just letters, you know, like there was no, it didn't make any sense. I was like, okay, cannot rely on that one, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and then suddenly, whoops, you know, there was a memory that I, of what I was talking about. And then it, it came back. And then I continued the talk, finished the talk. And after I remember leaving, and I, I thought, wow, the worst has happened. But, you know, it was, it was a moment to be known, you know, something to be known. It was not that bad, yet I clearly remember I had lost uh, access to uh, things we usually have access to, you know. 
uh, in the mind. So tonight I'd like to talk some about uh, mindfulness, about uh, this um, this um, quality that we uh, that is at the center of our uh, journey here. And I think I. I think I might end up doing it in a something else to be mindful of, a wave of emotion. So I might end up doing it in a very um, personal way, I think. We'll see what's going to happen. Mm. So when I was uh, preparing the, the the talk, I was uh, uh, the question that was arising in me was, why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why why would one put themselves through a thing like this? You know, <laughs> it's one way to put it, maybe. And um, I remember coming here to sit on the, this retreat in the past and uh, filling up the form. And one of the questions was, uh, why do you want to come here? I can't remember how it was formulated, but I had written, which made uh, Carol Wilson laugh and uh, agree. I had written, uh, no one else will do it for me. You know, I have to do this. No one, I cannot hire somebody (laughs) to do this or (laughs) ask some, you know, organization to to do this, you know. The mess that is in here, the, the misunderstanding, the confusion about what is onward leading, what is liberating, and what is entangling, what, is, uh, what brings happiness and what does not. The clarification has to be done in here, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, an amazing laboratory to do that. It's an, it's an amazing setup, and it's not easy thing to do. And um, the way I understand this is that as we uh, sit here and uh, pay attention, all the ways that we comp- um, create suffering for ourselves and others, uh, or many of the ways, maybe not all, but many of the ways that we make uh, our life difficult and stressful will be revealed. All the, I think of it as the mechanisms of suffering, the mechanic of suffering. Uh, and also in time will be revealed also the, the mechanics of freedom, of ease, of uh, um, spaciousness, uh, and maybe love also. And so this um, mindfulness, just this uh, learning to pay attention in a non-judgmental way, uh, in a non-violent way, and in a sustained way. How to uh, cultivate this 
extraordinary attention, just extraordinary, but that makes it extraordinary, you know, attention uh, to what's happening so that things can be revealed. Even uh, I like, uh, I heard Jack at least twice now talk about loving awareness. And uh, and so maybe that's a beautiful way to talk talk about it, this this caring attention, caring about what's happening. Um, So I... I, um, How to do this? The first time I uh, sat a retreat, uh, it was in Thailand um, many years ago. And um, um, I'll tell you what happened because I don't know why. I'll tell you what happened. Is um, Let's say the retreat started on a Friday night. Anyway, the first evening... They say, uh, you know, we're, we're going to teach you about uh, wisdom and, you know, kind of stuff I just uh, said. And they, and they said, so what we're going to do is we're going to do anapanasati, attention uh, uh, at the nostril. And they gave the basic instructions. And then they said, okay, let's go, let's do it. And I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, you know, somebody found their way to enlightenment, whatever that means, of freedom through the nose. Like, I would not have expected that. You know, it it is truly a secret pathway. Like, put attention on your nostril, and you know, wisdom will develop. (laughs) So I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, because I basically knew nothing about, I was traveling in Thailand, and it on the superficial level, it's, it seemed like a cultural thing to do. That's how I was thinking about it. But I think something else was at play uh, underneath. But, uh, so I remember sitting there and just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. You put my attention on the nose. It's kind of a fun little thing to do while you're traveling. <laughs> and so I, I went in it with a lot of ease and, and I got really high. I got really, really high, you know, like I put my full generous attention on the, on, and I started almost flying, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I got extremely joyful and light, and, uh, and then everybody left to go to their, um, to, the, to the bedroom, the bunkers where we were uh, sleeping, and I sat there for a long time, and uh, I was just really, really, so I thought that was kind of the basic beginning norm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And so the next day I went to the hall and I was expecting that, you know. And it, I think for about two years I was expecting that. That was like a little setup, you know. So, I, I, so then there was a lot of struggle because I, I wanted that, you know. And it, why wasn't it there? And, and that's when actually I started to develop some wisdom. It became, it took a lot of time. I had to soak in it for a lot of time. But at some point it became 
slightly apparent that that might not be the right attitude. That there was, you know, that the being demanding and wanting my, you know, what as a customer I should get back, you know, or something like this was not the. So for me, the development of uh, wisdom started just like this by, uh, and it took a lot of time because I, I'm not that quick, you know, and so. At some point, to actually see that oh, the wanting is really painful, yeah. And so uh, um, it was through direct experience, through what I called soaking in it with attention, uh, and the attention got more and more samasati, uh, wise mindfulness, with uh, less and less judgment in it, maybe more and more sustained instead of. Uh, you know, kind of haphazard or intermittent, you know, it got more and more. And so then it really touched, it was able to suddenly touch, really touch the suffering of this wanting something else to happen. And in time, maybe uh, abandon it, Yeah. On that uh, retreat, I remember that they explained to us um, three levels of um, understanding, a level of receiving information, uh, kind of three levels of understanding in Buddhism, as I understood it. Uh, receiving information, knowing about stuff, so somebody telling me about anapanasati, somebody you know, telling about different things. In the, and then another level that was a level of reflection, think thinking about, uh, considering, contemplating. And then that level of uh, um, meditation or mindfulness where it, things are known through direct, immediate experience, close contact, intimacy, not thinking about, but uh, being touched by. It's a whole other language it's probably not the right word but i'll use that one yeah and how the three of them are very important but in the setup of the retreat uh, a lot of the attention is given to the direct experience yeah um i was uh, on that first retreat i was with um, my uh, partner at that time and uh, and the, the, I wanted to name this because for him there was a, a, a big opening that happened, but through reflection, through the kind of second level. And um, so this is the, the story. It, at that retreat, uh, at some point they were um, teaching us uh, metta. And the way I remember it was... Uh, Sending in all direction meta, but uh, uh, in one direction it was to parents, in another direction it was to employers or employees or uh, the animal realm and something like this. And uh, expressing respect or gratitude, or feeling gratitude for uh, these um, people. And uh, my partner uh, had. Um, very difficult time with uh, that's what he told me uh, after uh, 
he said uh, it was extremely difficult for me to hear that I had to send love and gratitude to my mother because what had happened to him was that when he was three years old uh, he had um, six uh, brothers and sisters he was um, uh, five of them were older and one of them was one and a half year old he was three years old his mom uh, one day just took her things and left and was unfoundable or heard of for several years and uh, and when he was um, 15 years old um, she appeared for uh, one weekend he didn't know it was going to be a weekend but she appeared and uh, it was a time where he was um, he was at the hospital he had had gangrene in the stomach and uh, he was very very uh, thin and almost um, had almost died and uh, and then she had reappeared and it completely opened his heart and his, and his mom had showed up at a moment that was really uh, difficult for him in his life but then she had disappeared again and uh, at that time he was in his 30s and uh, through the Salvation Army in his country where he came from the family had uh, found uh, the mom again after many many years and they all had uh, taken time to write a letter to her that the Salvation Army said uh, they would uh, actually uh, give to her, not give them her address, but give the letters to her so she could read it. And they had gone through a beautiful process, the brothers and sister, and saying that she's elderly now, and, you know, she might be alone, and... And I remember he had taken weeks to write his letter. It was very important to him. And they had sent the letter. And the letter had come back saying, leave me alone. I feel like I'm being chased like, a, you know, some thief or some outlaw or something like this. I have a whole life. I have a family. They don't know about you. Leave me alone, please. Do not write again. You know? And so he was feeling a lot of anger and frustration. And I mean, I probably cannot even imagine what he was feeling. But to be told and on that retreat that he had to extend love and uh, gratitude to his uh, uh, parents' mother was very, very hard for him. And he... Uh, he had had that chance to talk with the Ajahn, Ajahn Po, was the, the monk there at Swanmuk Monastery. And uh, the Ajahn had said uh, something very classic that you can read, I think, uh, directly from the Buddha, saying, you know, uh, she gave you life. She, this is an amazing thing she gave you. Uh, she took care of her, herself, her, as she was pregnant, you know, she delivered you. This is a hard thing to do. For the three first years of your life, she fed you. She uh, held you. She protected you from the cold. If you were to carry her on your back, you 
it would not be possible for you to repay the gift that she gave you. Because now you can practice Dhamma. You can clear your heart of all the confusion in this life, that your life form that you're given, human life. And, uh, and what I would like you to do is just to sit there and think about all the little ways that she took care of you. You, you will not be able to think about all the ways every little move she made for you. But I want you to sit there and reflect on this. And so he engaged uh, on that reflection. So that was a different level than uh, the mindfulness of direct experience. It, was, uh, it had the thinking process in it. Uh, but it was very directed. Huh? It was not like, oh, thinking about this and that in a little scattered way. It was very much directed. Uh, and uh, as when I saw him after the retreat, I didn't know what had happened, but there was definitely a transformation and uh, an ease around this uh, this major story, and his story, who he was, you know, that, that was not just a story in his life, but his identity had been transformed. So, um, just that bit, because it did happen, and I don't know, I felt like it was uh, it needed to be told, that story. Mm. For me, on that uh, retreat, what touched me was uh, hearing about the Four Noble Truths uh, very deeply about the... Anyway, I won't get into it, but uh, about suffering the, and the dukkha. And uh, I had my own reason for that. I probably will get to it at some point, knowing more. Um, but anyway... Um, so on, on uh, maybe if I move on away from that retreat and go back on the mindfulness practice, one of the main uh, beautiful things that I happened uh, for me in this practice of mindfulness is the um, everything around self and selfing. And so I'm going in that direction because it's the kind of theme of the retreat that we uh, came up with as we talked about what could be an underlying theme for this uh, retreat in the teachings. And, um, and I wanted to just say a few ways in which mindfulness for me revealed the difficulties around this. So one thing that I, over the years I became very aware of um, was the... Uh, the fascination and the mm, obsession for self that is in the mind, you know, as I sit, this uh, constant taking uh, understanding of the world through self and what self wants and what who self belongs to, what self's tribe and what I want and what I will do and what I and and just how much of it is present and. Uh, Often I, I think of it as, you know, when there's the news, there's this little band thing in the bottom, and, and, and sometimes I feel my, my life, if I'm not aware, is like 
thin like this. It's a little band of commentating about what I want, what I will do, what, you know, what will I get, will I get that, will I... Uh, and to actually become aware of it, not ta- uh, in the trance of it, but start to see the thing rolling instead of being in it, you know, caught in it, and having access to such a small percentage of life, such a dry little piece of life of concept, ideas about, uh, about uh, self. And uh, I'll read you uh, maybe part of a, a sutra that you might have heard before, uh, uh, and it's about, it's about mindfulness. And uh, we, um, the title of the sutta uh, tonight will be uh, One uh, Single Excellent Day. And so I'll start, uh, I'll start somewhat in the middle of the sutta. Here. Let not a person revive the past or on the future build uh, their hopes. For the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let him, her, see each presently arisen state. Let them know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep uh, death and its, its hordes away. But one who dwells thus hard, ardently, rests relentlessly by day, by night, um, he, she, the peaceful sa- sage has said, uh, is one who has a, a one single uh, excellent day. Yeah. So, uh, really about mindfulness, but the bit that I like that is often not uh, told is, is uh, this, how it continues the sutta. It says, then the Buddha says, how bhikkhus, people practicing, let's say, does one revive the past? Thinking, I had such material form in the past, one finds delight in that. Thinking, I had such feeling in the past, one delights in that. I had such perception in the past, I had such formations in the past. This is kind of Buddhist lingo. Basically what the person is doing is like, oh, I remember when I was there, we had so much fun, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, and this was, you know, great, and, but this one, that, that happened, that was really bad, you know, and, and I hope it never happens again to me. And... Uh, And then he says, and how because does one not revive the past? Thinking, I had such a material form in the past, one does not find delight in that. I had such feelings in the past, one does not find delight in this. And how because does one uh, build hope upon the future? Thinking, I may have such material form in the future. Yeah? And it goes on and on. And how not to, not find, but the number of times the word I is repeated here, like I will be like this, I will be like that, is, is what the Buddha says, that's the thing we have to let go of, 
you know we're invited to let go of this trance obsession of self um, and so uh, for me to actually see instead of being caught in it see the passage of it is so liberating just to see that this is an occurrence there's something happening now is a flow of thoughts and I don't have to buy into it I don't have to get caught into it yeah um, So one uh, one insight uh, was um, that I got one time. Little insights, like nothing, but sometimes it's little things that make a huge difference. And to me, it's always built. What I would like to, I hope I manage to do that, is to. This is all resting on being attentive, being careful. And so I'm in line to go get food. And I get my food, and at the end there's the spoon forks thing, you know. And I pull, and it's very funny because I did that again to the exact same thing, and the response was very different. I pull a fork, uh, a spoon to eat my soup, and out of the little box comes out a huge serving spoon. <laughs> and that's a few years back. And and as the spoon comes out. I suddenly feel really guilty. It's like, you, why you use a big spoon? You know, who do you think? You, like, what's this? You know, like, like guilt and uh, feeling inadequate. And, and right, like, do I put the spoon back in? Do I hide the poo- spoon, you know? Just this little thing. And, and suddenly, there was not mindfulness at that moment yet. But right then, when suddenly, because of prior moments of mindfulness, prior moments of mindfulness are the proximate cause for moments of loving awareness that will come. So suddenly there was this seeing of me, a a creation of a me that was lacking, that was not good enough, that was bad for taking a big spoon, you know? And suddenly I saw that, and it was like, wow, this tendency of mine will attach itself to any opportunity. <laughs> you know, because this, this is nothing, you know, like, it was not even, you know, there's no intention to get like a big spoon or something. something. There was just, a, and I saw this, and I was really touched by this. Uh, Wow, this is what this mind does. This un- How much of the time is there this underlying sense that I'm not, you're not good enough or I'm not good enough or, or something like this. This is a selfing that is happening that is extra. It's nothing to do with reality. It's a, it's a generation of the mind. Yeah? Plus, not only this, but it will take any occasion to arise and then it will change the perception. You know, it will have, it will say that I'm inadequate or think only of myself or you know whatever it says. And then it will get reinforced by you know if it's unseen, then there will it will be yeah it's true, and let's find another occasion to prove 
that right, you know, that you don't belong, you don't fit, or you you weigh too much, or you whatever, you know. And we might, I suspect, all have our different versions of this. But I remember in this clear seeing, uh, in a way, being scared, you know, feeling a sense of urgency, and seeing the violence that was there in this mind stream, you know, that had really to be taken care of. And so here is one little uh, thing that, that I, that through mindfulness was, uh, there was a little loose, loosening of this that happened. Maybe I may as well continue with uh, kitchen stuff. <laughs> One day I'm also here on retreat, and uh, I was sitting, uh, being mindful in the in the in the uh, dining hall, and uh, so I'm just sitting there, being mindful. At some point maybe there's a bell or something, decide to go up towards the med- meditation hall. And as I walk towards the exit, somebody is sweeping. And, uh, and so to, I, I make a, I change my direction and I go on the side of the fridge to go out instead of going the direct way because somebody is sweeping. And as I come to the fridge, Mindfulness drops for a second, and I open the fridge just to see what's in there. <laughs> no mindfulness. And suddenly I see on the, in the fridge, somebody has, um, has, uh, has claimed, so there's like 90, 90 of us here, and somebody has claimed a whole drawer for themselves. They, they, they put their name, and it's their drawer. And suddenly I, I get a really strong opinion about this, like, hey, you know, there's 90 of us or something here. And I, I get really pissed off, Is that, can I say that? Like, I get really angry. And suddenly I become mindful. And I just see, I just saw a causality that my anger was due to the person sweeping, <laughs> I don't want to say it's the fault of the person sweeping. I was, there was, if there had been no person sweeping, I would have gone straight out. But there was a person sweeping, and I went there, and the lack of mindfulness was another cause for me to open the fridge, to greed another one, you know. And then there was, a, and suddenly it just appeared to me that this was um, resting on very almost non-existing things, you know, like uh, somebody sweeping, and suddenly I'm uh, self, self-righteousness, and I'm all right about something, and, and it's, it's just resting on just going in a different direction. Like the causality in a way stood out. I was like, wow, what? Am I really going to give that much power to the way causality works? You know, like it's, and you know, suddenly dropping, dropping this, you know, and, and I could see also the mind picking it back up, you know, like, yes, but, you know, <laughs> and the power of mindfulness was, that was really like, when the mindfulness was kicking back in, which is the second right after, suddenly there was just an interest for the contraction of the chest, the, 
hardness of the body, you know, the contraction, the, the, and then there was joy. There was like, wow, look at, this is amazing. And then there was this dense, the mindfulness was not like well established. It was kind of shaky, but still enough to, to not be caught just in the story, just like be on the object, being the drawer, let's say, you know, in the story, but re- coming back here and saying, wow, the charge in, in, in here and the devastation and the hurt, you know, and the, the, the volcanic uh, eruption in here, you know, and this dance of being, uh, going from one to the other on and on again. Thanks for your patience. When I was... uh, I'll tell the whole story. We'll see what happens with that. When I was uh, 20 years old, uh, um, I... uh, I had done four years of theater schools, and um, there was one um, one director author that uh, that um, I, I thought was really uh, very very beautiful, very handsome, and it, it really got when I would see him or hear about him, I would really my biology would get going. You know, like there would be a lot of um, beautiful piercing eyes, like um, like an Eskimo dog, you know, like blue eyes, uh, eyes. And and to me, that was the really the ultimate uh, mate in my mind, if I can say that. And uh, one day after a, a theater show, uh, a, a, uh, somebody came in, a guy that I, kn- I knew, came in with uh, an elderly person. And... Um, and they came in, and I just saw uh, some people are coming backstage to say hi after the, the show. And uh, there was a few people who seemed to know this elderly people, and they were very... Uh, you could see this person had been sick, or there was something, because people were very, uh, you know, the back like this, like, oh, how are you, and stuff. And, and I didn't know this person, and at some point this person, this elderly person, turned to me, and I saw their eyes. They actually were that person who had contracted AIDS and was about to die or died a few, I don't know, died after that, you know. And I remember the shock of, you know, seeing, seeing, uh, discovering that this was this person, the shock, the surprise, the confusion, and uh, and nothing else. I I don't think there was, uh, you know, uh, any wisdom that came out of this, you know, on impermanence. There was just uh, shock and probably denial or something like this. No, I don't think there was even compassion. There was just like, uh, there had been so much desire for this being and then the shock of seeing them really as a 
they, they looked to me as a very old person. And uh, so that stayed like this. And um, a number of months after, I find myself at the doctor to get, uh, to get results back. And the doctor says, you know, you, you are HIV positive. And uh, th there was more wisdom that came with this one. There was really like uh, suddenly the, the sense that nothing was solid. It came with a lot of distress, but there was the sense that youth that I thought was eternal and uh, life that was eternal and uh, all this was, you know, you could not rely on it. I couldn't put words on it, but it was a clear, uh, I was shaken to the core uh, in this way. Um, and so later, when uh, if I go back to Thailand, that retreat, when they talked about the Four Noble Truth and the shakiness and the unreliability of, of things, you know, and when I heard the teaching of the four messengers, also there was a recognition that if you know about the four messengers, heavenly messengers, the Buddha to be goes out and meets, a, a, you know, a, a sick person and an elderly person and a dying person. And I remember hearing the story and thinking, wow, that day in the doctor's office, I moved in with them, you know, like they became my companions. Anyway, I, um, I'm sitting on a long retreat at uh, IMS. And uh, one day I'm, sit I'm outside, there's, a l there's huge winds, great winds. And I'm just watching the, the wind, this thing and the power of nature. And suddenly there's this <laughs> and one of the huge trees that are there, huge pine trees, I think, fall like this. <laughs> and I, I saw it and and I re-entered completely the grief of the, that I'd come when I had learned I was HIV positive because it was kind of a symbol, an archetype of something. I'd been to IMS and I, to me also, I think somehow I thought they were eternal, these big trees, you know, and there forever. And to see this massive thing, undestructible in my mind, just collapse completely on the ground. I'd, it was a kind of... A, I took it as a symbol, I think, uh, for my health that I'd suddenly, I thought I, I was so healthy. I thought, you know, anyway, and I entered this grief and in that retreat, there was a lot of grief. And I remember at some point, uh, I was thinking that I was in grief all the time, all the day. And, um, so I'm sitting outside and I was actually hanging out with the tree a lot, you know, just there was something I was just staying there with the tree, being there with it, you know. And, uh, and at some point the bell rings for the meal. And uh, I knew it was pizza. So I just <laughs> stood up and turned around. To, and it lasted about a second and a half before the grief came back in. You know, it, it, it was just like pizza, you know, and... <laughs> And, and, you know, probably the time for me to stand up. And as I was up, suddenly the heaviness came back on the heart, you know, and the pressure on the chest. And, but I saw it disappear completely for a second. And suddenly I saw, wow, this is not solid. This is Im completely impermanent. 
And now I feel it, it's, it has this heaviness, but it was completely absent during that, these few seconds. To me, this is just another small example of the development of wisdom. It's, it's, it's these things to see how something that appears to be permanent is actually totally not. Given the right condition, it can switch uh, totally. Mm. To me, that was uh, very, very uh, liberating there. So, I don't know, what do we s- can we see in this? We can see that the mindfulness is often not there. Right? In the stories that I tell, it's <laughs> moments of absence. But to me, it says also that there was a lot of attention given at many times, you know, and that this attention can catch things that usually would not be uh, catchable. Another time, I, I, this is an experiment, this, this talk. I'm trying this out. I hope there's something in there for you. That's really my wish. Another time, I'm... Uh, I was also absent for a few moments because I was doing something that I um, that I thought was uh, I would I, I thought I was refreshing my mind, refreshing my life by thinking of the other life that I would have if there was not the HIV and the complication around that. You know, the just to name a few of the things. You know, the tab, the stigma around it, the self-judgment, the you know, the taking of pills, the diarrhea, the, I don't know, all, there's many things, entering, a re- possibly entering a relationship or not, and, you know, anyway, so I was, uh, I, I felt like I had a good day of practice, so I could take a little break and think of the life without the HIV. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, that was not very conscious, it just happened, it was one of the habits of this mind, you know, to think like, wow, if there was not this... Life would be like that, and this would be like that, and I could actually travel in, uh, Thai, in, uh, in India, and you know I could do this, and you know all the beautiful things. Uh, only uh, uh, a pleasant feeling tone, you know, like <laughs> in that dreamed life, it was only pleasant. There was no unpleasantness. Uh, it was cleared of all this, even no neutral. <laughs> you know. And at some point, I just became aware of again, and I just came back. And in that moment, again, there was this catching of this habit. It had not been questioned. And if it was not from mindfulness, it would not have been questioned. It would have been trained. It would have been grooved in uh, neurologically. You know, I would have spent time in that groove, you know. But suddenly there was this, and there was a thing like, this actually is a made-up, this is fiction. It has nothing to do with life. My life fails miserably compared to this, you know. This, this is not the skillful way to use the mind, you know. And so all these examples that I'm seeing there is, is the seeing of un, the mechanisms of suffering, I was saying at the beginning. They, they are be, being revealed by sitting and walking and paying attention. The competition, as I would chop vegetable, either at IMS or here, you know, the wanting to be the first one to finish, the wanting to, I don't know what 
crazy things, you know, but to soak in it again and again and actually say at some point, soak in it enough to see like, this is miserable. (laughs) Is this mind looking for happiness in this way? This is pathetic, you know. (laughs) This is non-judgmental awareness, by the way. (laughs) It's factual. (laughs) It's not the beautiful use of the mind, you know. And uh, slowly the abandoning for me is a lot uh, uh, through that. So, And, you know, uh, there is so many of, of them. And so, to me, that's a lot of what we're doing here by paying attention is that we gain entry into habits that are impossible to see when we're caught and then when we're we're in the trance i think is the best way to to call it and then uh the coming out or the the finding wisdom for me involves uh it involves suffering it involves seeing how how this habit hurts the mind, self, and others, for sure, you know, and uh, and seeing this. So, I think that that'll be uh, it for uh, for for moi. Um, this is simply offered uh, for your. Uh, whatever you feel uh, like you want to do with this. So let's just take a little moment to sit in silence. May we all um, have the chance to clear up a lot of the mechanisms of uh, suffering during this this retreat and uh, foster and cultivate the beautiful um, mechanisms of uh, freedom and also uh, so that we can also offer uh, protection to other and uh, freedom too. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
www.ghostbusters.org slash donate.